Didn't the kids do a great job? I'd like to say thank you to Brittany and uh, everyone who helps volunteer with that. It is truly a blessing. Thank you. I would invite you to bow with me once more as we ask God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active. Thank you that by your Holy Spirit it is relevant for us today. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak this word through me, your servant. Speak to each heart, Lord, the message you would have us here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Renowned theologian and apologist by the name of Ravi Zacharias once said, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Moses and the children of Israel learned this lesson the hard way. Long after the words of committal had been spoken, he remained, still staring at her grave. He had presided over so many funerals. He had seen so much death, and now it was his sister's turn. Moses' thoughts were somber and dark. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. Many years had passed since Miriam's short-lived rebellion against him. His forgiveness of her had been almost immediate and was now nothing more than a small footnote in their long relationship. His mind sifted through some of his earliest childhood memories together with his sister. There was he and Miriam running along the banks of the Nile River. Then the many visits she and mother had made to him in Pharaoh's palace. And of course, the story she never let him forget of the day that she had rescued him in his little basket boat. But now, that was all in the distant rearview mirror. It was all over for Miriam. Because after all these years, her dream of setting foot in the promised land was now over. An unmarked grave in the desert of Zin would be her final resting place. But of course, it needn't have been this way. And all because of just one decision on one day. Thirty-nine long years had passed since that fateful day on the eastern banks of the Jordan River. Thirty-nine years of wandering. Thirty-nine years of wilderness. Thirty-nine years of nothing to eat but manna. Manna for breakfast, manna for lunch, manna for supper. Thirty-nine years of funerals. Thirty-nine years of regret. Regret for listening to the ten spies instead of the two. Regret for letting their fear of giants overrule their faith in God. Regret for treating the Lord's word with contempt. Regret for not crossing the Jordan River to take that land that God had promised to give them. It only took one day, one day of sin, one day of rebellion, but now 39 years on, only a handful of the adults from that fateful day were still alive. Their gravestones marked the passage of the nation through the vast and endless expanse of the wilderness that they had traversed. And now Miriam's grave joined the literally hundreds of thousands who had passed before her. Moses was now an incredibly old man, 119 years of age to be exact. 
And yet, even at his advanced age, God had daily sustained him with the health, strength, and stamina required to lead the people on their endless journey. But sadly, the next generation had proven to be little different than their parents before them. The rebellion of the sons of Korah who had risen up in mutiny against Moses and Aaron's leadership had once again brought God's divine anger upon the people. The consequences had been dire and devastating. First, the ground had swallowed up the sons of Korah, burying them alive. Then fire consumed the 250 leaders who had joined them in their rebellion. And finally, a plague struck the camp, killing another 14,700 people. The aftermath had been gruesome. The grief raw, the fear immediate. Will God destroy us all? And again, Moses had to intercede. Moses' brow furrowed at the still raw memory, his heart pouring out a silent, agonizing prayer to the Lord. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? How long? Will it be? How long? That was always the question. Always at the front of his mind, how long? How long until he could finally plant his feet firmly on the promised land? To taste of its abundance, to breathe of its fragrance, and then, and then, at long last, go to sleep in peace. Oh Lord, how long? Will it be? Because I don't know how much more of this I can take. Moses, Moses, we've got more trouble. Aaron's urgent voice intruded in on Moses' thoughts, abruptly calling him back from his memories into the never ending duties of leadership. Moses, there's no water. The scouts have looked everywhere, but there is no water here. The riverbed is dry. There's not been water here in years. The reserves are depleted. And the people, well, you know the people, they are rising up against us again. And for a long moment, Moses just stared at Miriam's grave. He could feel the anger rising up within him and fueled by his sorrow, the anger threatened to take control. He knew how dangerous his unchecked anger could be. Moses knew as a young man, fueled by that righteous anger, he had murdered an Egyptian slave master. Much later, when seeing the people worshipping the golden calf, he had let loose that anger in all of its fury. He had smashed the tablets of God's law and then forced the people to drink the ground-up gold dust of the calf. He finally issued a wholesale slaughter of the unrepentant who would not rally to his call. How much more? Of this must he endure. How much more could he take? Yet Aaron's voice persisted, Moses, did you hear me? Moses took a deep breath, stealing himself for the inevitable conflict to come. Finally responding to Aaron, his words were low. Come, let us reason with them. The following arguments were as bitter as they were predictable always following the same pattern. Why did you bring us into this desert that we should die here, Moses? 
Why did you bring us out of Egypt into this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapes or pomegranates. There's not even water here in this barren, desolate wilderness. It would have been better if we had died with the others in the rebellion than to die of thirst. And Moses could have told them that their complaint and the others that would follow, he could have listed it off before they even spoke a word. He had heard them so many times before. He also knew from experience that thirst did things to people. It had a way of driving people crazy, mad, desperate. But even so, the fact remained, no matter what the people said or did, he knew they needed water, and they needed it now. The smooth grip of the staff was familiar in his hand. As Moses sized up, the absolutely massive rock standing before him. Some 60 feet tall and 40 feet across, the boulder towered over Moses' head. Beside him stood Aaron, and all around them stood the entire assembly of Israel, gathered, watching his every move, standing before this massive rock watching with the intensity that only someone dying of thirst who hasn't drank in days can fully understand or appreciate. For for Moses, it was a strange moment of deja vu. It was like he'd been here before. In fact, he almost had. He recalled how almost 40 years earlier, he had been in a nearly identical situation. Then the Lord's command had been, strike the rock with your staff, and water will pour forth for the people to drink. But this time the Lord's command had been different, odd. Take your staff, gather the people, and speak to the rock. Speak to an inanimate object. What an odd command. For of all of the many, many, countless miracles that Moses had performed at the Lord's command, he had never before spoken to a rock. And why should this time be any different than the last? Striking the rock had worked last time. Why change a winning formula? And besides, hitting that rock had just felt so good, so powerful, so satisfying. But speaking to a rock? Would that even work? And what if it didn't? The rebellious people would certainly mock him, and chances are they'd pick up those rocks beneath their feet and start hurling them at him in a moment. Speak to the rock? Hadn't these people, oh, hadn't they learned anything yet? Those rebels always ready to turn against him at a moment's notice, after everything that he had done, after everything he had endured on their behalf. Had they not learned from the sons of Korah and their demise? Do not test the Lord's leader. And at that, the burning anger that he had tried so hard to suppress exploded deep within him. His words erupted like a volcano. Listen, you rebels! Must we bring you water out of this rock? And with that, his staff lifted high above his head and then descended like lightning, once, then twice, 
The sound of it strikes reverberated through the air as Moses channeled the full force of his anger into that rock. Immediately, a low rumble could be heard, and suddenly, suddenly the rock split in half, and water gushed out like a geyser. It exploded like surf on the seashore, splashing over the dry rock, spilling down onto the parched sand below. Soon, a veritable and literal river of life was flowing towards the people. A great shout lifted into the air from every parched mouth as the people as one surged towards the water. Children dove straight in, running and laughing. Teary-eyed mothers carried their dangerously dehydrated babies to its life-giving flow. Men immediately began carrying pots and flasks to replenish the depleted supply. It was a day of jubilation, a day of salvation. All thoughts of rebellion were instantly gone. Moses was once again the hero, vindicated by the Lord's powerful provisions once more. But as Moses and Aaron stood and surveyed the scene, the word of the Lord came to them low and clear. Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I will give them. And just like that, it was over. No debate, no argument, the Lord had spoken. His words were clear and irrevocable. Their sin was laid bare, the consequences pronounced. They would not set foot in the promised land. And for all that Moses had done for the Lord and for the people, through the entire exodus, year upon year, it was done. He would not lead the people across the Jordan River. His dream of planting his feet firmly on the promised land, tasting of its abundance, breathing in its fragrance, and then finally at long last lying down to sleep in peace, it would not be realized. Just one burst of anger, one brief moment where his faith wavered, just one sin, and his over 40 years of faithful service was not enough to earn him entrance into the promised land. Almost, almost at that finish line, but not allowed to cross. It just doesn't seem fair, does it? It doesn't seem fair. You know, I remember when I first learned this part of the story as a young child. And I just thought, this can't be right. This just can't be right. Moses deserved better than this. And honestly, I was upset. I felt that God wasn't fair with Moses. And I just remember thinking, Moses, one tiny sin, just one tiny misstep, where he disobeyed the Lord's specific command to strike the rock instead of when the Lord said, speak to the rock, how did that compare to the countless and many sins of Israel? Too many to name and to count were Israel's sins. Moses and Aaron, so tiny in comparison. So why then should those children of Israel, why should they get to go into the promised land and not Moses? Well, the answer is not an easy one, but allow me to explain. 
2015, Leanne and I were blessed to be able to travel to Israel. And in this next slide, you'll see a picture of, of Leanne and I atop Mount Nebo. And here on this uh, beautiful sunny day, standing on the summit of Mount Nebo. Now, the picture doesn't do the, the depth or the height any justice, as pictures typically don't, but we're standing on top of a mountain, and it drops significantly away from us, and directly behind us is the Jordan Valley. Now, that is in the rearview mirror, and so uh, on the left-hand side of the picture, in the haze, you can just make out the Dead Sea. Um, on the, the right-hand side of the picture, uh, in the far distance is the city of Jericho, and in between is the Jordan River. And so, from this vantage point, atop Mount Nebo, this is the exact closest point that the Lord allowed Moses to get to the promised land. And in this next slide, you'll see the memorial rock that stands atop that mountain. It's a memorial of Moses' final moments, here on this land, atop this mountain. Deuteronomy 32, verses 48 to 51, tells us, how the Lord told Moses to climb this mountain and that it would be there atop that mountain that after looking at the land, he would die. And verse 52 concludes with this word of the Lord to Moses. Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance. You will not enter the land I am giving to the Israelites. And so there is Moses, the most ideal and godly leader in all of Israel's history. Just months away from crossing the Jordan River, and he slips up just one time. He loses his temper just one time, and he's denied access. And I remember standing there atop Mount Nebo, back in our our visit in 2015, I remember just looking out across the valley. The view is spectacular. But I remember standing there trying to imagine what Moses must have been thinking, what he must have been feeling, looking out at that same view some 3,500 years ago. And I'll be honest, just thinking about it, it, it was a sobering moment. And my gut feeling was still the same as when I was a little kid first hearing this story. It just wasn't fair. It just felt too severe. Why such a consequence? But there's more to this story than we see at first glance. All throughout the Exodus, God repeatedly gave images, painted pictures that spoke ahead about one who was coming. One who would come and do something which Moses could not. One who was coming who would do what the law could not. And that, of course, is the picture that is painted throughout the Exodus of the coming Messiah, of the Lord Jesus. We see him all throughout the story of the Exodus. We see Jesus in the blood of the Passover lamb, painted on the doorpost so that the angel of death passed over. We see Jesus in the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And now here, with Moses standing atop Mount Nebo, God points ahead to Jesus once more. But how? Well, following Moses' death, Sunday school question, who does God call to lead Israel into the promised land? What was his name? Any Sunday school kids in the back? 
Well, we'll get there. Joshua, right? I think someone said it. I saw a few people mouth the words. All right, so Joshua. Joshua is the one who God called after Moses to lead the people into the promised land. Now keep that in the back of your mind for a moment. Fast forward to New Testament context that we're living in today. Often we will use the metaphor of crossing the Jordan River as being symbolic of us crossing over into the promised land of heaven when we die. The chilly waters of the Jordan equal death, and the glory of the promised land equals heaven. So how do we get into heaven? How do we earn safe passage across the Jordan River? Do we get in by doing good works? Do we get in by obeying the commands of the Old Testament law? Now here, God was very careful in how he painted this picture for those who have eyes to see it. What is Moses' name synonymous with? Moses and the law. Moses and the Ten Commandments. They're synonymous. They go together. In fact, in the life and times of Jesus, they were called the Mosaic Law or the Law of Moses. And so Moses represents the law. And now we see that Moses or the law didn't get to lead Israel into the promised land. But who does? Joshua. What does the name Joshua mean? It means Savior. Now we're going to get on to Jesus, the real Sunday school answer. What does the name of Jesus mean? Savior. Did you know that Joshua is in fact the same name for Jesus? It's the Hebrew way of saying Jesus, which is the Greek pronunciation. In fact, the Hebrews pronounce Joshua as Yeshua. So Yeshua, or Savior, is the one who led the children of Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land. Now let's just add all of this up. I'm sure you're starting to put the pieces together. God would not allow Moses or the law to lead his people into the promised land. Only Joshua, Yeshua, the Old Testament picture of Jesus, is able to lead the people safely through. Are you seeing the picture? You have the law, and you have Jesus. James 2 verse 10 says this, Whoever keeps the whole law, and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking it all. Did you know that it only takes one sin to keep you from heaven? Only one. That's why the law alone is incapable of bringing us into the promised land of heaven. Now get this. Not even Moses, the literal mouthpiece of God's law, not even Moses could be saved by that law. One sin was enough to bar his entrance into the promised land. Not even Moses, the giver of the law, could be saved by that same law. One sin kept Moses out of the promised land, so too one sin keeps us out of heaven. So then it begs the question, what did God God give them the law for? What was the purpose of it if it couldn't save Moses and if it can't save us today? Well, Paul explained in Romans 3, verse 20. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight 
by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Through the law, the purpose is we become conscious or aware of sin. You see, the purpose of the law is to act as a mirror. It helps us to realize that something is wrong in our lives. So, for example, let's say you've been working in the garden. We're all looking forward to that in a few weeks' time. You've been out in the garden, and you've been digging away, and without thinking, you, you wiped you know, your face like this, some sweat out of your eyes, and you got a big streak of mud right across your face, but you just don't even notice it. it it's there. It's on your face. You go inside, you, you go in the bathroom, you look in the mirror, and, oh, my face is dirty. Do you then take that mirror and try to clean your face? Do you try to rub your, your... No, you don't. What do you do to clean your face? The water. It's right there. We splash water on. We wash the mud off. The mirror is there to show us that our face is dirty. It's not there to clean our face. So too, the law is there to show us our sin. It's not there to clean the sin. Only the living water of Jesus Christ can do that. Galatians 2.16 says, A man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. You see, what this is telling us in, in straightforward language is this. No matter how good you've been, even if you've been as good and godly as Moses himself, when you stand before God at the judgment throne, you can't point to your righteousness and expect God to be impressed. If it wasn't good enough for Moses to get in, what chance do you think that you or I have? Your righteousness nor mine will earn our way into heaven. Only Jesus' perfect righteousness can do that. It is only by following Yeshua, the Savior, Jesus, that we can cross the Jordan River safely. But now one last thought. What about Moses himself? Did Moses ever get to set foot in the promised land? Real question. Did he? Did Moses ever get to set foot in the promised land? Take a look at the picture behind me. Think back a few sermons to the Transfiguration. Who appeared alongside Jesus atop the mountain in the promised land? Elijah and Moses. Now get this. How did Moses finally get to set foot in that promised land? Only through Jesus. Moses didn't make it in because he was a great man or or made righteous by the law. The only way Moses finally got to set foot on the promised land was because Jesus brought him there by his mercy and his grace. So was God unfair to Moses by not allowing him to lead Israel into the promised land? Was he being unfair? No, he wasn't. He was being perfectly fair in dealing with Moses as he saw fit. He was fair and more than fair. I believe now that God actually honored Moses by delaying his arrival. For what greater honor could Moses receive than that the first time his feet set foot on the soil of Israel, he's standing 
with Jesus in all of his glory, transfigured on the mountaintop. What an honor that he could stand with Jesus. Isn't the Lord good, my friends? Isn't his grace astounding? God is faithful to his children. And yes, we must deal with consequences of sin, but the Lord is merciful. And yes, Moses had very real consequences. And I'm sure it ate at his heart that he did not get to set foot on that land in his, in his mortal lifetime. The Lord brought him there to discuss an even greater exodus than the one he had brought from Egypt. For there on the mountaintop, they discussed Jesus' exodus from this earth back to heaven and how one day he would return. What an important plan that the Lord Jesus brought Moses in to discuss on that mountaintop. And so, friends, as we bring this to a close, I want to encourage you with this. Even when we fail, even when we are suffering the consequences of our own sin, even then, God is painting a beautiful picture. Yes, we may have to wait for that picture to be finished a lot longer than we'd like. But when all is said, when all is done, and at long last we are standing in that promised land of heaven, it will all, all have been worth it. For we will enter that land, not by the law, not by our good deeds, but we will enter that land by Jesus with Jesus, by his grace, and his grace alone. Today, if you haven't made that decision, to simply put your faith in Jesus to save you, if somehow you think that coming to church and and learning the Bible and doing good works is how you get there, I want to set the record straight right now. That's not it, my friends. It's only through Jesus, trusting in him and him alone, that what he has done is enough. And if you do that, when you do that, his grace will cover you. And one day you will stand on that promised land of heaven. You can make that choice today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, we honor you for your tremendous plan of salvation. We honor you that you are showing this plan through pictures painted in your word from the very beginning. And incredibly, in the Exodus, we see it unfold line by line, story by story. And here in this story, you reveal how even the great lawgiver, Moses himself, could not be saved by that law. He, too, needed your mercy and grace to cross over that Jordan River, that river of death, and to enter your eternal presence of heaven. And so, Lord, we come to you in the same way. Not coming by the law, not coming by our our righteousness or our own good deeds. Because, Lord, we know that even one sin is enough to bar us from your presence. And, oh, Lord, we have far more than one. We have many. And so, Lord Jesus, we come to you alone. And you, in faith, We trust and declare that your work is enough. Your work on that cross of Calvary was for me. That your blood shed covered my sin. And that by its shedding, as we come under it, 
as we say, Lord Jesus, we believe you cover our sins. You forgive us completely and you welcome us into your presence just as you welcome Moses into your glorious presence atop that mountaintop. And so, Lord Jesus, someday we will stand with you in glory. And we look forward to that day. And I pray, Lord, that for anyone today who is not sure of their position with you today, I pray that you would give them the grace by your Spirit to simply trust in you, receive you as the Lord and Savior of their lives, and to know and give them the assurance that they are your child. I pray this in your name for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.